as we study your word. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will be present with us and uh, teach us and guide us into the truth. Open our understanding to the scriptures. I pray that you'll open our eyes of faith that we might see you, our hearts to receive the word and the truths today that we might not sin against you. Help us, Lord, to come to a better understanding of the sacrifice you've made for us to pay our sin debt, to guarantee us a home in heaven and deliver from the wrath to come. I thank you for your love and your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father, for uh, giving your son and for your grace. And I just pray now that you'll just help us as we study your word today. Help us to be good students and apply it to our life. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you to, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. We're going to continue in our study of the harmony of the Gospels, looking at the vicarious suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ by way of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. Today we'll be looking at the sixth of seven sayings that the Lord Jesus uttered on the cross. Um, a powerful statement that he made, uh, and one I hope and pray that we can convey uh, some of the truth behind this. So in John chapter 19, I want to read verse 28 down through verse 30. We're going to focus in verse 30 this morning. We looked at the 28 and 29 last week, but in order to help us stay in context, I want to read the entire four verses there, uh, or three verses. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So today we're going to focus in on the statement of Christ where he said, it is finished. Powerful words, powerful statement uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ made. The word in the original that uh, is translated in our English, it is finished, is tell Tell it, well, my tongue is gone south. Tell it, tell it, I know it. So I don't speak Greek very well, but anyway, it means paid in full. And uh, we find that as we study archaeology digs, we they have discovered receipts of ancient times uh, that had this word stamped across the bill where it means paid in full. So we find that when Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, came to this place and he, he spoke these words, it is finished, he is making a powerful statement in that it, the payment is made in full. Nothing else left to be done uh, by anyone, himself or us today, for the payment to be made. That payment meaning the payment for our sin. The price of sin is death. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled that to the utmost degree. Uh, he paid in full our sin debt 
so that he might deliver us from the very wrath to come. So it is finished. Now, as, as we look at the Gospels, we, we compare the scene and the narratives of the different uh, accounts of, of the Gospel writers, and we find that uh, <clears throat> the Scriptures tell us, I believe it is uh, Luke, that it is still dark in Luke chapter 23 and verse 45, the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Matthew also tells us that the veil of the temple was torn in two. In Matthew 27, uh, it tells us that in verse 51, that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. So there was a magnificent phenomenon taking place when the Lord Jesus Christ uttered these words, it is finished. So we let's, let's talk about the veil of the temple for just a moment. If you recall back in Leviticus where the, the, the Lord Jesus uh, instructed Moses in, in building the tabernacle, which in turn eventually uh, became the, the temple, the, the, uh, the Solomon's temple, now Herod's temple, as it was in, in the days of Christ. Uh, we find that there's a, two sections. There's the holy place and the holiest of holies. The holy place uh, was encompassed in, in with a, a tent, a, a curtain, and it held the, the, show, the table of showbread, the, the uh, uh, the seven lamps, the, and then it also uh, the altar of incense was there in the holy place. Separated by that was the holiest place, the holy of holies, which contained the Ark of the Covenant. The, the, there supposed to have been the, the Ten Commandments and, and uh, etc. But it was also the mercy seat. It was golden overlaid. And there were two cherubims, and there the Bible tells us in Exodus that that's where God would meet man. And the high priest could only enter the holy place, the holiest of holies, once a year by a blood sacrifice. And there he would make, he would apply the blood to the mercy seat, and there he would atone for the sins, his own sins, and the sins of the nation of Israel. And there they would. Uh, come to be able to meet with God and, and have that, that forgiveness of sin. But that, that veil, that curtain was extended all the way to the top, to the bottom, separated completely uh, and covered and hid the Ark of the Covenant from the people, which signified that only the high priest had access, if you would, to God at the time, and that by blood only blood sacrifice. But when Jesus, our Savior, hung on the cross, he uttered these words at the end of this three-hour suffering, we find that um, the, the veil was torn in two, from, and it's significant that the scriptures tell us it was from the top to the bottom. So this curtain was something some have told me or that I've read by was like six inches thick, very stable, very sturdy curtain, and 
by this we see the implication of the hand of God tearing open that veil, opening the way to God, access by anyone that wants to come to God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the significance of his sacrifice, making a way for us to God. If you remember John 14, 6, we all know that, I'm sure by heart, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. And that was uh, emphasized by the tearing of the, of the temple veil. He, had, he made the access. He was the doorway to God and to a relationship with him and fellowship with him. He was the blood sacrificed by which we are able to enter into the presence of holy God. If we don't come through Christ, we don't come to God. Simple as that. You cannot say you have a relationship with God without having a relationship with the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells us that, teaches us that. The only way to the Father is through the Son. So we find that, that he hangs there and still in darkness. If you remember, the last three hours from noon to three o'clock in the afternoon was complete darkness. Darkness that could be felt. We studied that uh, a couple of weeks ago. And still, these last few sayings, these last four sayings of the Lord Jesus, uh, and this one of them, was uttered in darkness. When he cried out, it is finished, it teaches us, or teaches me, that the, the intensive suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ endured for our salvation, for our redemption, was something seen only by the Father. It was not to be witnessed by mortal man. Uh, you know, that this was something beyond human comprehension. God the Father, he was the one that was pouring out his wrath, his holy wrath and righteousness upon the sins of mankind upon his own son. And his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, suffered and endured as he would for every individual. way beyond my head but yet he did so and he cried out it is finished so what was finished what was actually accomplished by the lord jesus christ well first of all all the prophetic scriptures in the old testament the messianic prophecies of the redemption of mankind was fulfilled every one of them um, we find from Genesis uh, chapter 3, I believe in verse 21, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse 15, also uh, emphasized and, and given an illustration in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3, all the way to Malachi. These prophetic utterances of the Messiah coming to redeem man and making a way to God and, and purchasing our forgiveness and our redemption was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The law, the law was fulfilled. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 17, I came not to destroy the law, but that it might be fulfilled. When we talk here of late, you know, I know in our society today, there's a lot of talk about the law in such a way that it's a, it's a bad thing. But it is not a bad thing. The scriptures tell us in Galatians, it's holy 
and it's just and it's good. The law is the scriptures. When we refer to the law, that, that's basically referred, when the Bible talks about the law, the prophets, and the psalm, the law is referring to the five books, of the first five books of the Bible, the, the uh, Torah, the first five books of, that written by Moses. And that's God calling. He's saying, get on the stick. Little joy and gladness. <laughs> joy and gladness. So we find that the law is good. It, the law is scriptures. So the law is not to be done away with. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And when he did so, he cried out, it is finished. Therefore, every time we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and he comes and lives within us, then we have within us the fulfillment of the law because Jesus fulfilled the law. He is in us. We are in him. Therefore, we have the fulfillment of the law. Now, that's not, we're not talking about do's and don'ts and regulations and the ceremonial law. We're talking about the moral aspect of the law, not the ceremonial, the dietary laws that are found within those five books, especially in Leviticus. But we're find, we find that it is uh, the word of God that has to do with the moral living and the moral capabilities of the humanity and what the requirements are upon us the law is something that we ourselves cannot live up to in order to live up to it you have to be perfect no sin whatsoever in fact james writes if you uh, offend the law in one point you're guilty of all of them the only one that ever walked upon the face of this earth that fulfilled every aspect of the law is the lord jesus christ he lived a sinless life perfect life, never committed any sin, incomprehensible that he never had a bad thought, an evil thought, he never yielded to temptation, he never disobeyed his parents, he never disobeyed God, he never did something that would break the law. Therefore, he was the perfect lamb of God that was able to take away our sin. <clears throat> that means the law being fulfilled, the law being still in, in act today, is we still need to adhere to the Ten Commandments, still need uh, not to kill. We still do not need to steal. We still need to uh, avoid adultery and to avoid covetousness. We still need to uh, honor God and honor his name and fear him and, and re refuse to entertain idolatry those things are something that we need still to do and those are boundaries those are guidelines for us to adhere to when we talk about today when i talk about today don't allow the uh, requirements of the law in, to uh, mandate your salvation that means we don't keep all the ceremonial aspect of the law the dietary all that is is non-essential actually as far as salvation is concerned in our walk with God. Some of the things are not made for us, commanded to us, but it would do what we'd be wise to adhere to some of them, but it's not such as uh, God's requirement for us to keep. Case in point, we don't offer blood sacrifice. We don't kill a lamb and we don't go and offer that sacrifice 
as a payment for our sins. Jesus is our lamb. He's the one that paid our sin debt. His blood is what allows us to be cleansed from our sin. The dietary laws. Uh, guess what, guys? I love and I eat bacon. And I love ham. But the dietary laws of the Jews, they forbid, uh, forbade eating pork. In fact, they didn't want anything to do with pork. They didn't want anything to do with anybody that had anything to do with pork. That's why the uh the 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 parable of the prodigal son if as we call it where the young son wasted away his living and found himself in the pig pen slopping hogs why it was such an impactful story because a jewish boy was in the pig pen feeding pigs and trying to eat with pigs and that was teaching the lowest of the low that someone could go but yet the father out of compassion and love received him back into fellowship so uh, those kind of things but jesus said it is finished the law is fulfilled all the scripture is fulfilled the truth of scripture the messianic prophecies nothing was yet to be undone in fact verse 28 we go back to that just for a moment of john 19 he said knowing that all things were now accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled even the very last thing that he said, I thirst. He had uh, clearness of thought and mind, even in his intense suffering, to make sure that everything was fulfilled. Nothing was uh, missed. The Lord Jesus Christ did everything for us. Now, we find that not only was the scripture fulfilled and the law was fulfilled, but we find that the work that God wanted him to do, his obedience, it was, his obedience was fulfilled. The word of God teaches us that especially the, probably the most uh, well-known passage of this is Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11, where it talks about that the Lord Jesus Christ who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus came, the scriptures tell us, to do the will of the Father, do the will of God. Everything he said, he said in obedience to the Father. Everything he did, he did in obedience to the Father. The Word of God teaches us. The Lord Jesus himself stated on many occasions, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So his obedience to the Father was fulfilled. Nothing undone. Never disobeyed the Father. Had he disobeyed the Father even in one point, he would have been excluded from being the sacrifice for us because that would have been a sin, and he knew no sin. So we find, Kay's on here now. So um, we find that uh, the obedience to God was completed. It is finished. The uh, I'm sure that I have 
brought your attention to this before, but I want you to look, if you would, to Acts chapter 10 for just a moment. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the word of God tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So we find that the Lord God uh, poured out the Holy Spirit and the, and the Lord Jesus being God in the flesh submitted himself, yielded himself to the empowering of the Holy Spirit and through that power, he went about doing good and fulfilling the law or fulfilling the obedience to the Father. Also want to uh, point out to you in, in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. I want to start there just a moment. In verse uh 25, we've looked at this before, but I want to point out something else to this. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, that Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able, also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives and makes intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. I want you to underline if you underline in your bible the the last part of verse 27 that jesus did this once for all when he offered up himself there is no more sacrifice jesus did it once his sacrifice was sufficient he fulfilled every aspect of the the messianic promises of redemption and he he, he indicated that when he made the statement it is finished. One other thing that the Lord Jesus Christ did as far as completing his work, he completed the work that he came to do to accomplish the defeat of sin, of Satan, of evil. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, First John. John chapter 3 and verse 8. The Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God teaches us, came to win back for mankind what Adam lost in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. Throughout the scriptures, Romans chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the contrasts are made between the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam being in Genesis chapter 3, the second Adam being that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both men federal looked at as federal heads of the human race. They Adam in Genesis 3 
he failed his test. He lost uh, the dominion over the earth and gave it to Satan, and destruction and death was a result of it. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, came, the perfect man, to redeem back that which Adam lost and to destroy the works of the devil and regain that which Adam so uh, carelessly gave up and became the, the one that was dominant and preeminent. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, <clears throat> the Bible says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Notice this next statement. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, what are the works of the devil? The works of the devil, again, we go back to Genesis chapter 3, and that was to plunge mankind into the depths and despair of sin. Sure. Chapter 3, all of 1 John's good. But verse 8 for sure is uh, very significant in that, that the, that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and defeated the works of the devil. He defeated the, the devil even in his birth, at his birth, when the Father protected him and, and de delivered him out of the Death, the, the death of, of Herod, uh, when he destroyed the, and killed the, uh, the babies, the man ch children, the boys, uh, two years and younger, whenever the birth of Jesus was announced, uh, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ defeated the works of the devil whenever he was there in the, in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, whenever he encountered face-to-face -face the devil and the evil and the temptations, in, in every regard, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. In those two places, the categories of the sin was the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life as described in 1 John 2 and verse 16. So the, the devil was defeated by the word of God and the will of the Lord Jesus Christ, the volitional will that Jesus decided he was going to obey the Father. And we find that here on the cross, as a surprise to the devil, I can just imagine, and I know that I've read many commentators that kind of uh, threw out their thoughts about this, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, all of hell was having a party. The devil was dancing around and all the demons were dancing around thinking that they had won, they had gotten the victory because they now had the Son of God nailed to a cross. They knew that he was going to die. And they thought they had won the victory. But it is amazing that the Lord Jesus Christ opted and chose to defeat death with death. He died so we could live. He died so we would be set free from death. We find that uh, in Hebrews, I believe, chapter 2, I think it is. Yep, Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to look at that, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. The scriptures tell us, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, 
he himself likewise shared in the same, this is referring to Jesus, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So we find here that when the Lord Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross at the end of this time, and he cried out, it is finished. He was recognizing and he was acknowledging that he would had defeated the works of the devil. Number one, he had paid in full the sin debt that we owe. Now, we need to understand something. We need to really try to embrace this thought and this truth. Jesus Christ hung on the cross from nine in, in the morning to three in the afternoon. The last three hours from noon to three was in utter darkness, a darkness that could be felt. His suffering, intense suffering, was cloaked by darkness that only the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the Father, could see the sufferings of the Lord Jesus as the wrath of holy and righteous God was poured out upon the sins of mankind. Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. At that moment, those three hours, somehow or another, supernaturally, he was able to take the sins of all mankind from Adam to the last person ever to be born and take upon himself those sins and pay in full, suffer the intensity of those sins and the wrath of God in that three hours. Supernatural work of God. He was able to do that. Had I paid for my sin as God demanded, his righteous holiness demanded for me to pay my sin, I would spend eternity in hell, separated from God, tormented in the flames of fire. But Jesus, somehow, supernaturally, God working, was able to endure the suffering for all of eternity in those three hours for all of mankind. No wonder it had to be cloaked in darkness. No one would have been able to fathom the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one could have looked upon that, I don't think, and been able to comprehend what was going on. But he paid the sin debt. And then he defeated the very enemy that man fears the most, that is death. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he took away the sting of death. Now, after Christ has been crucified and raised again, we find that the New Testament describes the death of Christians and believers in Christ as that of falling asleep. It's interesting to me that in the Old Testament, they died. In the New Testament, they fall asleep. Why is that? Because Jesus has taken away the sting of death. It's like for us as followers of Christ, falling asleep. Now, I understand. Lord, I do understand. I've seen, I've been witnesses at the bedside of those that are in excruciating pain and suffering from cancer and suffering from terminal diseases and and having uh, accidents, car accidents, and 
a lot of different things, traumatic events take place in their life and they suffer physically. But the actual stepping through the doorway of death is like described in scripture as falling asleep. I don't know if you've ever been beside someone, a believer in Christ that, that has passed from this life into the next. But I have been in several occasions, some family members, some loved ones, some friends, some that I, I really didn't know that well, been at their bedside when they passed from this life into the next, stepped into eternity. And for those that were believers in Christ, it was exactly described as the Bible says, they just kind of fell asleep. A peace comes over them. Regardless of the, the pain they may have suffered up to that time, the peace, of the look of peace comes upon their face and they just kind of fall asleep. That's believers in Christ. The Lord, the word of God never tells us that he took away the sting of death for non-believers. In fact, we, we looked at this, I believe, uh, two weeks ago, the, 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 the narrative of the rich man and Lazarus, both passing from this life. It says the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes, but the rich man, uh, the, the beggar, he was carried into the bosom of Abraham, comforted in that. Yes, sir. Robert, I can tell you there is a difference. There is very much a difference, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. And I. They feel the fire of hell. You're right. I believe that. I, I believe that somebody that has rejected Christ or, or just neglected the gospel, thinking I'll do it tomorrow and they die, I think that they definitely die in a different fashion. And uh, I think that can be uh, proven. But the Lord Jesus defeats death. <clears throat> and notice, if you would, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, Hebrews Seven, uh, two, it says that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Guess who has the power now? Not the devil. And guess who does not need to fear death? He says, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now folks, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to confess here. I am not ready to die. I don't want to die today, but I don't fear death because I know biblically with my understanding of the word of God that death is simply the doorway into the presence of God for the believer in Christ. I'm not ready to die. I don't want to suffer. I'd love to go to sleep one night and wake up in the arms of Christ. That's how I want to go. I might not be able to go that way, but you know, if I had my rathers, that's what I'd rather do. But, the thing is, I don't fear death. And here's, here's what is remarkable throughout church history. If you study church history, the saints of God, the martyrs of God that have stood in the face of uh, certain death because of their stand and their profession of Christ preaching the word of God, none of them feared death. They looked and stared death in the eye and said, I will follow Christ. I will continue to preach the gospel. And they all died a martyr's death because 
They did not fear death. They, they were in a win-win situation. They knew if they died, they would be with Jesus. And if they knew that they lived, they'd still be there to serve Christ. And that's what Paul said. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That's what, exactly what he meant. He didn't fear death. And he was in prison. He was facing a, a Roman execution. But yet he knew that if, it, if he lived here, he would, had the privilege of being able to serve the Lord some more. If he died, he would just go to his reward in heaven. So we find that he, he took away the power of death, the fear of death from the devil. And the Bible describes in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 1, I believe it is, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17 gives a description of the glorified Christ. And it says, John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Let me stop there just a moment. You've heard me say this before, and I'm gonna, I think it bears repeating. Every time I read in the scriptures that someone has an encounter with God or the glorified Christ. They don't, they all fall down as dead men because of the awesomeness of God, the holiness of God and their own sinfulness and their own wickedness. Even if they are following Christ, they realize because of the glory of Christ in front of them or the glory of God in front of them, they fall down. Isaiah had the vision in Isaiah 6 of, the, of God on the throne, and he fell down as a dead man. Uh, and here we find John said, I, John was one of the, the 12 disciples. John was noted as the one whom Jesus loved. John had a very, he was in the, in the three most closest uh, men of the disciples that had a relationship with Christ. John was the one that was given responsibility of the care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And here we find that Jesus, John said, when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as dead. We don't have to imagine what we're going to do when we meet Jesus. I love the song, but I don't think it's right. I love the song. I like listening to it. I even sing along with it. But I believe with all my heart, I don't have to imagine what I'm going to do when I see Christ. I'm going to fall down at his feet. But he goes on to say, Jesus said, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Now listen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. <laughs> Jesus is the boss. Jesus has all authority. Jesus is the preeminent one. Jesus has defeated the works of the devil. He said, it is finished. It is finished. Nothing else for us to do but receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Follow him and you'll walk in the right direction. The thing is, all throughout Scripture, and the New Testament goes through all the epistles. Uh, they, they reiterate this time and time again. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 
We don't have to work for our salvation. We don't have to work to maintain our salvation. It's all in Christ. He is all in all. Now, once we're saved, once we trust Christ as our Savior, because of our love for him, we should be compelled to live for him in the way that he wants us to. Peter says we should follow in his steps, follow his example to live as Christ lived. How did he live? In obedience to the Father, in obedience to the Word of God, sacrificially, lovingly. He was willing to do that for us. So we find that the Lord Jesus cried out, It is finished. Aren't you glad that it's not up to us? to have to get to heaven. It's all on Christ. I've, I've said many times that I know I'm going to heaven because I'm trusting in Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't get to heaven, then I won't get to heaven. But if Jesus is in heaven, I'm going to heaven because I'm trusting in him. Wherever he's at, that's where I'm going to be for eternity because all my total being is resting upon him and his finished work on the cross. Jesus is my Savior, and he is my Lord. So I am about out of time, so we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I got a question real quick. Yes, quick. Okay, you know we went to Matthew 27, 51, okay. about the time of death and what was going on, the sun dark and the earthquake. Okay. But the saints rose from their sleep. We're not there yet. Are we going to do that next week? No. If you'll continue to read that, it says after his resurrection, the saints rose. It wasn't at the time of? After his resurrection. Continue to read. Yeah, he he we'll, there and cleaned out. We'll, we'll talk about the last saying of Christ next week where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what we're going to cover next week. That would be creeped out. Then, then we're going to cover the burial, and the resurrection, Lord willing. Okay? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we praise you, love you. Thank you so much for this time in your word. I pray that you help us to embrace your truth. Thank you for the finished and completed work of redemption for our sin. Thank you for your salvation in Christ. Father, forgive us for rushing through this. I just pray that you just help us to receive uh, what you have for us today. Bless our folks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you folks. Thank you so much.